Shalom, everyone. Good morning. Hope you're having a wonderful start to the week. We are in day one, looking forward to what the Father has in store for us this week. <clears throat> We're just trusting Him and know that He will guide us on our path. We just must seek Him, lean on Him in all things, trust in Him, and know that He will watch out for us, protect us, and bless us in all of our trials, tribulations, whatever we're going through, he is the answer to get out of the storm that we're dealing with. So we pray that you are having a wonderful time, had a wonderful Shabbat. For us, it was full of fellowship. We got to interact with multiple different groups and glean and learn and just praise Yah for his message, his word, his goodness that he gives us each and every day. I'll tell you, this particular reading, of course, it was a double portion, so it was quite a bit. It may not have been the most pleasant or enjoyable read. Uh, there was some pretty graphic details concerning awkward, uncomfortable subjects, but I'll tell you, I have learned so much through this portion, applying it to myself. Um, really looking at leprosy in a whole new light growing up, I just thought it was a contagious disease, an ailment that if you came too close near someone with it, you could end up with it as well. Basically a incurable disease that you would have until you died. Unless for some of these people's sake, they were healed by the Messiah. We see that happening. But digging into this deeper, we really learn that the plague of leprosy is an issue within ourself, that it is brought upon ourselves by various sin, especially gossip, slander, or the evil tongue speaking poorly against others. And I think we're all very lucky that we haven't necessarily contracted leprosy ourselves, because I know most of us are probably all guilty at one point in our life of doing that, to speaking badly upon others, gossiping, whatever you want to call it, consider it. I now have a deeper understanding as well of the saying, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. Because we know that even just holding the hatred in your heart, speaking against others, we can be murdering the character of others, assassinating them, with our words, not just a physical action, but just physically speaking those words can have those implications. Uh, so it is so important to watch what we speak, watch what we think. You know, our thoughts count as well, even if we're not speaking it. Even if it happens to be true, we still need to refrain from speaking it out because that's not our place to judge. The Father knows all. He will handle it. He will deal with it. But we need to make sure that we are acting right. We aren't acting out, spreading rumors, gossip, whatever it is. And so this whole portion really was an eye opener to me is a deeper meaning and understanding to leprosy uh, and the sin that manifests within ourselves becomes a physical ailment, affliction on our body. And, um, We've got quite a few different portions here to read this morning as well to go through with the half Torah as well as the Basora. I'm excited. I found some good stuff to go along with these verses 
And I just hope that it was a blessing for you this week that you got to fellowship, read the scripture, find something new. That's what's so wonderful about each and every time we read the portions. I'm especially gleaning and learning something new. Uh, and of course, it doesn't matter essentially what others are taking away from it, what they're learning, if they're applying it to their life, apply it to your own life. That's what matters. The Father is concerned with you and it will not be asking you, you know, how about those people? He's going to be asking you about yourself and what you did, how you handled yourself, if you spoke life or death over people. And so we can see how gossip really is such an easy thing to do, sometimes second nature, not even realizing that we're doing it. Uh, and so I can see why that is considered one of the worst sins out there, because it is so easy to do. All right, before I get started, I'll say hello to everybody in the group. Thank you for joining this morning, or if you're watching later on, blessings to you. Got what my wife Lee here. Thank you for joining. And Andrea, shalom and blessings. And Betty, howdy to you and good morning. Amanda, thank you for joining. Shalom to your family. And Eric, hope you guys have a wonderful week as well. So blessings to all. And I just pray that this message is a blessing like always. I want the Father to speak through me. And I'm going to be learning as much as anyone else. These messages that I speak, whether I have something written out or planned to say, or I just let the Ruach take hold, I want to learn from this as well. I apply each and every message to myself. How can I learn? How can I better myself? Because we all are a work in progress. We will never be perfect. So we have work to do every day. And it's just so important to be able to realize that, cast that ego or pride aside, humble ourselves, and we can see within this portion alone that humility and repentance is the key to cleansing oneself of leprosy. So let me share our verses for today. Like I said, since it is a double portion, we got quite a bit, and I've got some insights as well, comments I'd like to share over a few of them also. We're going to be starting in 2 Kings 4, 42 through 519, and then Isaiah 66, 1 through 24. Then the Basora is going to be Luke 2, 21 through 35, and Matthew 8, 1 through 17. And this was covering week 27 and 28, Zariah and Metzarah. Really interesting portions. I hope you guys enjoyed it. <clears throat> like I said, it sometimes a difficult read, but <clears throat> there was really a lot to glean from it. And I'm learning the more I read Torah that the message may come off as a physical meaning reference, but there's so many spiritual elements and references and symbology within the message. And when we can start to apply that in various ways, not just physically, but to our spiritual life, it really can open our eyes in a new way and give us deeper understanding, which I know we're all searching for, seeking for, praying for. That's why we're here. That's why we study together, read the word together, fellowship together, whether we're 
together in a group or on our own. We're always seeking his word and that's pleasing to the father. He desires our obedience. And when we're doing that, I know it brings him joy. So let's get going. So 2 Kings 4, 42. And there came a man from Baal, Shalisha, and brought the man of Elohim, bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. And his servitor said, What? Should I set this before a hundred men? He said again, Give the people that they may eat. For thus says Yahuwah, They shall eat and shall leave thereof. So he set it before them, and they did eat, and left thereof according to the word of Yahuwah. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Aram, was a great man with his Adonai, and honorable, because by himself, by him, Yahweh had given deliverance unto Aram. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Arim had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Yasharel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's woman. And she said unto her mistress, Would to Elohim my Adonai were with the prophet that is in Shemaron, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Adonai, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of Yasharel. And the king of Aram said, Go to Go, and I will send a sephir unto the king of Yashorel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And I was looking into this. I don't know exactly how they've calculated with inflation and everything with our money and value today. But this was roughly possibly around $60,000 at least in today's terms, of silver and gold pieces. And he brought the sephir to the king of Yashorel, saying, Now when this sephir is come unto you, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Yashorel had read the sephir, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I Elohim? to kill and to make alive, that this man sends unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. And it was so, when Elisha, the man of Elohim, had heard that the king of Yasharel had rent his clothes, and that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore have you rent your clothes? Let him come now to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Yasharel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Yardon, the Jordan River, seven times, and your flesh shall come again to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought, 
he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of Yahweh Eloheinu and strike his hand over and place, I'm sorry, and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abnab and Parpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Yasharel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid you do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much rather then would he says to you, wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Yardun, according to the saying of the man of Elohim. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Just amazing there. Not only was his leprosy removed and cleansed, but right here it's sounding like his skin was renewed and regenerated even better than his age at the time as of a little child. It just shows the power, the healing power of our Elohim, our Father in heaven. And his pride and ego almost kept him from receiving this healing, this cleansing that he sought after the entire time because he thought his rivers were better, were cleaner, could be more effective. And he returned to the man of Elohim, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold now, I know that there is no Elohim in all of the earth, but in Yasharel. Now, therefore, I pray you, take a blessing of your servant. But he said, as Yahuwah lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, shall there not then, I pray you, be given to your servant two mules burden of earth, for your servant will henceforth offer neither ascending smoke offering nor sacrifice unto other Elohim, but unto Yahuwah. In this thing, Yahuwah, pardon your servant, that when my Adonai goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimon, Yahuwah, pardon your servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. Yes, this is a great comment. Thank you for that. Maybe foreshadowing of our new glorified bodies when we get it. You know, that healing, that restoration we will receive. Will it be during that second exodus? Are we going to have to cross through the waters? Will the Father split the seas, the oceans for us? as the Israelites walked through and were baptized through that Red Sea. Really amazing to think about and to look forward to. So over the weekend, during the Shabbat and various fellowships, there's been a lot of great discussions on leprosy and where it came from, how it originated. Um, what is it today? You know, we still have that seen in people today plagued with leprosy 
And so there was a lot of great questions, you know, what we know of leprosy today, is it the same as it was in the Bible, biblical times? We know that the leprosy of the biblical times was that sin brought upon oneself. And really, all it took was repenting, claiming to be unclean, humbling yourself. And if your heart was pure and true, you would receive that healing. Where later in time, we know that leprosy was essentially a death sentence. Uh, it would get so bad if it was not cured that body parts would start to fall off. and It would essentially be the demise of the person and they would die from it. Probably very painful and uncomfortable. So we were wondering, you know, are they the same, you know? And of course, I read a little bit further in this portion and it really was revealed to me. And I hadn't even thought about it. Of course, I've read these verses before, but it makes complete sense. If we keep reading, I'm just going to read the last couple verses here in this chapter, picking up in verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of uh, Elisha, the man of Elohim, said, Behold, my Adonai has spared Nahum, this Amarim, in not receiving at his hands which that which he brought, the gifts that he brought. But as Yahuwah lives, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Nahum. And when Nahum saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot and met him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My Adonai has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there have come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray you, a talent of silver and two changes of garment. And Nahum said, Be content. Take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bore themselves before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his Adonai. And Elisha said unto him, Whence come you, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. And he said unto him, Went not my heart with you, when the man turned again from his chariot to meet you, is it a time to receive the money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maidservants? The leprosy, therefore, of Nahum shall cleave unto you and unto your seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. And that really spoke to me and answered that question. You know, we know that leprosy could be healed from repentance and a true repentant heart. But was this curse that was cast upon this servant and his seed forever, was it even curable from repentance? I don't know. And maybe that's why we still see it today. It has just continued Maybe it's a continuation of sin in those that have received the leprosy, that have not repented, that have not made things right. Very interesting. So I just wanted to share that 
really a great ending to that chapter. But one of my favorite verses um, in Kings, and I know it, it reminds me of last Passover, 2022, when Lee and I decided to rebaptize and recommit ourselves, that we dipped in the living water in a lake seven times making that proclamation. And so I, I feel that connection here uh, with Nahum. He was made clean, not only physically, but spiritually cleansed and spiritually healed. Just really wonderful. So there's a contrast between the ego of Nahum and the lowliness of Elisha. Nahum came to be healed, carrying rich gifts in fine chariots. Elisha had no such finery, just the power of Yahuwah. Nahum's pride was almost his undoing in this whole script, too proud and stubborn to follow the prophet's simple instructions. He almost bypassed the blessing that Yahuwah had in store. We too should obey the word of Yahuwah, even when his word does not make sense to us. Don't lean unto your own understanding. The Father's understanding is greater than ours will ever be. So trust in Him. And when He says move, you move. When He says to do something, you do something. Don't question it. Trust in Him. Those who serve Yahweh do not do so for financial gain, but out of love and simple obedience to Him, to the Father. Elisha refused the princely gift offering offered up to him. Yahuwah is a giver, not a taker. His gifts cannot be bought. Nahum's healing from leprosy is a wonderful picture of our salvation from sin, freely bestowed by the grace of Yahuwah in response to our faith. We see the servant of Elisha, his greed and deceptions are warnings to us. The Bible warns us against pursuing dishonest gain. We are called to be honest in all of our dealings, knowing that Yahuwah sees everything and will judge accordingly. We can be sure that our sins will find us out. We cannot hide from Him. He sees all, knows all, and He knows our heart. We can't hide that from Him, no matter what we do or what we try. We see Yahusha use the story of Nahum and Elisha as a illustration of Israel's problem of unbelief. Messiah tells the crowd in the synagogue of Nazareth, there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Nahum the Syrian. The lepers of Israel overlooked the healing that could have been theirs through Elisha. So Yahweh healed a Syrian instead a Gentile. In the same way, the Israelites of Yahusha's day were missing the power right in front of their eyes. But Yahuwah is no respecter of persons, and the Gentiles eventually received the gospel that Israel rejected. I love that message. There's a lot to glean from that. Shalom, Eric. Glad you joined us. Thank you very much for being here.
And that's right. We can lean on the Father. He never changes. And His Word is truth, always and forever. And that's a great point. Adam and Hua, Adam and Eve, they tried to hide from Yah. They couldn't. And our conscience, our guilty conscience when we sin, cannot be hidden. It tells on us many times. All right, Isaiah 66, starting in verse 1. The humble and contrite in spirit. Thus says Yahuwah, the heavens are my throne, and the earth is my footpath. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things has my hand made, and all those things have been, says Yahuwah. But to his man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite ruach, and trembles at my word, that he kills an ox, oops, that he kills an ox as if he slew a man, he that sacrifices a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offers an oblation, as if he offered swine's blood. He that burns incense, as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. I will also choose their delusions, and will bring their fears upon them, because when I called, none did answer. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes, and chose that in which I delighted not. Hear the word of Yahuwah, ye that tremble at his word, your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake. Let Yahuwah be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of Yahuwah that renders recompense, to his enemies. I love Isaiah, and so many times reading through it, it just feels like we're living those days now. It is a foreshadow of what we are in now. People choosing their own ways, offering their own idols, burning strange fire, delighting in the abominations. Verse 7, before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And we can see that this earth is groaning travailing, birthing pains, all the different natural disasters that are taking place, I think is a sign of those times ahead that are coming, those labor pains, if you want to compare it to that. You're worshiping how you want and not how Yah commands is strange fire. That is so true. We are not to remove or add anything to the word. And unfortunately, there are so many faiths, churches, denominations, whatever you want to group it in, that have customized 
their Christianity, their faith. They have removed what they didn't like and added what was fitting to their liking. And we know we are called to obey his commands, not ours, not man-made doctrine. That is false doctrine. And we have to see that. We have to remove that from our lives. I've heard others even referring to false doctrine or man's doctrine as leaven, as sin. We've got to remove that out, pluck it out, because if it's not, it will continue to grow. It will influence not only us, but others. If we're speaking that false falsely out into the masses, we've got to make sure that we are just gleaning and relying on the scripture itself, not what man says, but what Yah says. Messiah is a different example. Yes, he was a man, but he is also one in the same with the Father. He is the, the Father manifested as a man, human flesh. So he's the only exception. He is the only one we need to be relying on and trusting in. We know he is the Torah, that word made flesh. So he was just speaking and living the Torah perfectly in obedience. Verse 9, shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, says Yahuwah. Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, says your Elohim. Rejoice ye with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her, that ye may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her constellations that ye may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus says Yahuwah, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the other nations like a flowing stream. Then ye shall suck, ye shall be borne upon her sides, and be dangled upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so will I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And when ye see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like an herb, and the hands of Yahuwah shall be known toward his servants, and his indignation toward his enemies. For behold, Yahuwah will come with fire, and with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire." For by fire and by sword will Yahuwah plead with all flesh, and the slain of Yahuwah shall be many. Yahuwah Sevaoth will be his name when he returns in flames and fire, putting his judgment within the earth, showering down, pouring down his righteous judgment. Wow. That's powerful. Andrea says, Coming to Torah and knowing Yah's name brings so much truth to light. It does. That was one of the many things that have really opened our eyes to the truth and to deeper understanding. It is such a blessing that his true names have been revealed, that we can call him by the name that he is known as, not a title, but his true name. There are various spellings, pronunciations. None of us may know truly how to pronounce his name, but we are attempting to. We are not calling him by a title, 
but by the name that we know with our understanding. And I know he knows our heart in that matter, and he finds joy in that, in us seeking him. All right, so that does it for the half Torah. No, I'm sorry, I didn't finish. We still got more. Verse 17. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the garden behind one tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, says Yahuwah. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them and I will send those that escape of them unto the nations of Tarshish, Pul, and Ludi that draw the bow to Baal and Yavin to the isles afar off that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the other nations. And they shall bring all their brethren for an offering unto Yahuwah out of all nations upon horses and in chariots and in litters and upon mules, and upon swift beasts. To my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says Yahweh, as the children of Yasharel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of Yahweh. And I will also take of them for priests and for the Levim, says Yahweh. For as the renewed heavens and the renewed earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says Yahweh, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from new moon to his new moon and from Sabbath to his Sabbath shall all flesh come to worship before me, says Yahuwah. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched and they shall be an abhorring upon unto all flesh. Really a sign into Gehenna, into the fiery lakes of hell. We know that their, quiet, their fire will not be quenched. The thirst, the dryness of their tongue will not be quenched for eternity. It is so important that we choose life and not death even for our second home, our true home, where we really belong. The whole reason the Father made us to begin with, so that we could dwell within heaven, praising Him as He, as he and His Son, as Messiah sits at the right hand of the throne in His kingdom. All right, now we're going on to the Basura portion. Yes, Amanda, that's great. Behold the hand, behold the nail. Hallelujah. It is such a blessing to speak the truth of Yahuwah over the airwaves. I pray we reach those who are seeking Him, even if just one come to be nourished and seek filling of their Ruach, then praise be to Him. And that's the commission that we feel placed in our heart. We know that the Messiah was willing to leave the 99 behind to go look for the one lost sheep. And that's what we want to do. We want to encourage those that are already on the path, 
but also those that are seeking the path, haven't found it, or don't even know about it. There's so many out there in the darkness that don't have the hope, don't have the promises that the Father gives. And that's just what we want to do is to speak life and light into the darkness that they're living. Luke 2, 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Yahusha. Yeshua. There's many names, many ways to pronounce it. This is our understanding. But we know for a fact it wasn't Jesus. He was not ever called that. I'm fairly confident he never heard that name once in his entire life as he walked on this earth. He was Yahusha, the salvation of Yahuwah, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The angel gave him this name. They spoke to Mary, told them to name him this. And when the days of her purification, according to the Torah of Moshe, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to Yahuwah. As it is written in the statutes of Yahuwah, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to Yahuwah. That's amazing. That's true to us. We are to be called holy unto him. We are all children of him. He created all of us and named us in our mother's womb. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the statutes of Yahuwah, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Shimon. And that same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Yasharel, and the Ruach HaKodesh was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Ruach HaKodesh that he should not see death before he had seen Yahweh's Mashiach. That's awesome. Just another sign. We know that John the Baptist leaped in the womb when he was next to the Messiah. In the womb. Just something special and unique with the Messiah. That Ruach that was within him. People knew that. They felt it. They saw it in many different ways. And here we can see the Messiah himself, his mother, was obeying those laws of Moshe that we just went over in our Torah portion. How they were to offer up an offering of turtle doves or pigeons at the birth of a child. Verse 27, And he came by the Ruach into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Yahusha, to do for him according to the customary practices of the Torah. Then took he him up in his arms and blessed Elohim and said, Yahuwah, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your Yeshua, your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the other nations and the glory of your people, Yasharel. And Yosef and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken on him. And Shimon blessed them and said unto Miriam, his mother, 
Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Yashrael, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Wow, so prophetic and foreshadowing of what was to come of Messiah. The whole reason he was born as a man, put on this earth, was to be pierced and nailed for our sins, for our redemption, to wash our leprosy away, to clean us white as snow. What a blessing that we cannot take for granted. Not one second can we lose sight of that gift that has been given to all of us. We must remain righteous and pleasing to them for what they gave, for what the Father sacrificed. Not only did the Son sacrifice Himself, but the Father sacrificed His one and only Yahid, His beloved Son, for us to save us so that we could dwell with, his, with Him in His kingdom. It's just so wonderful. And it's so upsetting and hurtful to see how the world has forsaken Him and His Word, even the Messiah, even when He was living and walking and healing in front of them, they forsook Him. We have the chance for salvation. It's not just given. We must earn it. We must live a, a life deserving of that. And we can only pray that we are found righteous in the end and welcomed in, being called good and faithful servant. We must serve him humbly with a contrite heart, a heart of flesh. Let's remove that heart of stone from within ourselves, that circumcision of the heart. We must be baptized and washed clean in the waters of salvation. And that is when we receive our fleshly heart, and the Ruach HaKodesh, that Holy Spirit. So we're going to finish up in Matthew 8. And this one I really broke down. I wanted to share some things. This one really goes hand in hand with our Parshat portion, the healing of leprosy. And we see Messiah healed many different people in many different ways. And this chapter 8 really is such a powerful chapter, such an amazing word to read, and hope that he can still cleanse us of our leprosy today. Starting in verse 1, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. You know, we don't even understand what multitudes would imply. It could have been hundreds. It could have been thousands. It was a large group. And he was just beginning his ministry, his teachings, his healings. And that word spread quickly. The, the word of his healing spread quickly. And we can see towards the end that multitudes of the sick of the possessed, of the lepers. They were all 
coming to him for healing. You know, the scriptures only kind of hint at, you know, there's a few examples here and there of the healing, but Messiah healed possibly hundreds and thousands of people that came to him. He wanted to heal, to cleanse, not just physically, but spiritually. So let's pick up in verse 2 here. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Adonai, if you will, you can make me clean. We see that the condition of leprosy is a model of sin and its effects on our own life. It is a contagious, debilitating disease that can corrupt its victims and make them essentially dead while being alive. Society and religious people scorned the lepers, especially the rabbis. They despised them and saw them as people under the special judgment of Yahuwah, deserving no pity or mercy. And when I read that, I was trying to apply that to my life. We need to apply that to our lives. Who have we treated as a leper? They may not have that physical ailment. But have our words spoken over others, our gossip, our slander, our evil tongue, have we treated others as lepers, cast them out, seen them as unworthy? We are all worthy in the sight of the Father. He all wants us to set our sin down, to claim Him, to turn to Him, to repent and seek Him. We can all be cleansed. We need to be careful and make sure that we're not casting that judgment on others, even if it's just our thoughts or words. Nevertheless, we see the leper came to Messiah by himself, despite many discouragements. He knew how terrible his problem was. He was probably hard to even look at. Most people probably were afraid to look at him, to come near him, not Messiah. He knew that other people gave up on him as having a hopeless condition, cursed and doomed for death. He had no previous example of Messiah healing a leper to give him hope, but he had the promise. He knew I'm sorry, he had no promise that Messiah would even heal him. But he was willing to take that chance, to plead and ask, to beg Messiah for healing. This leper sought more than just healing. He wanted cleansing, not only from the leprosy, but also from all its terrible effects that it has had on his life and his soul. He'd been cast out of society. He'd been deemed unclean. No one could have anything to do with him. And I'm sure it was a very lonely and depressing life. He may have had family, a job that he was no longer able to have because of this effect. Charles Spurgeon said here in this quote, and I did change these words because we know he didn't use these proper names, but I changed them. <laughs> Those who call on Yahusha. Those who call him Adonai and do not worship him are more diseased than the leper was. 
Think on that. Let that sink in. Those that have the Messiah on their mouth, but not in their heart, are more diseased than the leper was. Verse 3, And Yahushua put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. This was a bold and compassionate touch from Messiah. The idea is that the leper kept his distance from Messiah, but he put out his hand and touched him. He initiated that action. He made the effort. He was not afraid. It was against the ceremonial law to touch a leper, which made the touch all more meaningful to this afflicted man. Of course, as soon as Messiah touched him, he was no longer a leper. He was cleansed. Yahushua did not have to touch the leper in order to heal him. He could have healed him with even a word, a thought. Yet he healed the leper with a touch because that is what the leper needed. That was a personal, compassionate action towards him, towards that individual. Yahushua often varied the manner of healing, and usually he chose a particular manner that would be meaningful to the afflicted individual. He could have said one word and healed the entire nation of their illness, but he, like now and always will, always has, wants that personal relationship with each and every one of us. He wanted that personal connection with each and every one that he healed. He wanted them to see that love and compassion that he had for them specifically. He has that for us, each and every one of us. That's right. Messiah never gives up on us. The former leper's life was changed forever. He was not only healed, but he was but as he requested, he was cleansed. Messiah had recently said, out of Matthew 7, Ask, and it will be given you. This was certainly true for the now cleansed former leper. He asked, and he received. And we are to still do that. We need to be asking the Father, asking Messiah for healing and for those things that we need in our lives. We don't need to be asking for the new 2023 car or a big mansion. That's not what he's saying. Ask for the things that we need to survive, to endure. Those things that will allow us to grow closer to him. Those things that will heal us of those plagues, those leprosies that have consumed our lives, that we can't rid of, that leaven that we're trying to remove. Ask him for those things to be removed for the healing and cleansing of those things. Verse 4. And Yahushua said unto him, See that you tell no man, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moshe commanded for a testimony unto them. Messiah often commanded people to be quiet about their healing or some miraculous work that he had done for them. 
he did this because he wanted to keep down the excitement of the crowds. And we can see towards the end, the multitudes, the hundreds, the thousands were coming to him. And yes, he healed them. But we also have to think, what did Messiah have to give? Was this taxing? Was this draining on himself? I'm sure it took a toll. Yet he was still willing to do that. He was willing to give of himself in every way. Every last drop of blood he gave for us. For that salvation. For that cleansing. Yahusha's miracles were not primarily calculated to make him famous or a celebrity. Though they certainly did give testimony to his ministry. More so, Messiah healed to meet the needs of specific individuals and to demonstrate the evident power of the Messiah in the setting of love and care for the personal needs of the humble people that humbled themselves before him, came to him, asking, seeking healing. You know, the, as we saw with Naaman, he was just about too prideful to even seek help in the way that he was told. He wanted it done his own way. Wanted it done the better way. He almost lost that healing that was offered to him. We need to be the same way. We cannot let our pride and ego take away, distract us. So many times we don't hear that still small voice that the Father is using to speak to us because our pride and our ego is in the way. We want it our way. We, we think that we know better, but we don't. The Father knows best. Let Him make those decisions. Make Him guide your life. Mark tells us that the leper did not obey Yahusha, and instead he went out and began to proclaim it freely. We see in Mark 1, 44 and 45, and said unto him, See that you say nothing to any man, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moshe commanded for a testimony unto you. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, so much so that Yahusha could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. You know, Messiah knew the plan. He knew that he had a certain amount of time, not that he didn't want to help, want to heal, but he knew that if word got out too quickly, that it may prevent him from the mission at hand. And we can see he was essentially forced out of the cities into the desert where they were coming to him. But that's still, I think, a wonderful message where he is still there. He may not be what we see as in the city, but he is still there for us. We must seek him out for that healing. Verse 5, And when Yahushua was entered into Copernicum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, Whenever the New Testament mentions a centurion, there are at least seven times mentioned. It presents them as an honorable and good man. 
even though they were part of the Roman system and had authority over many soldiers, it puts them in good light. This centurion had an unusual attitude towards his slave. Under Roman law, a master had the right to kill his slave, and it was expected that he would do so if the slave became ill or injured to the point where he could no longer work. But this centurion was different. This shows that the centurion did not make a casual request. Matthew describes him as pleading with Messiah on behalf of his servant. Verse 6, And saying, Adonai, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Charles Spurgeon says here, He sought, he seeks a cure, but does not prescribe to Messiah how or where he shall work it. In fact, he does not put his request into words, but pleads the case and lets the sorrow speak for itself. His compassion he had towards his servant, Messiah could see and pick up on. And Yahushua said unto him, I will come and heal him. Messiah did not hesitate to go to the centurion's house, even though at that time it was completely against Jewish custom for a Jew to enter a Gentile's house. It was not against Yahweh's law, though, and that's why we see Messiah so willing to go above and beyond to break these Jewish customs, these Jewish laws. These were essentially man-made laws. And many of the laws that we see Messiah rebuking throughout the New Testament was exactly that. It wasn't Yah's laws. It was man's laws that he was teaching against, that he was rebuking the Pharisees for keeping and putting above the law of Yah. The centurion answered and said, Adonai, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. The centurion fully understood that Messiah's healing power was not some sort of magic trick that required the magician's presence. Instead, he knew Messiah had true authority and could command things to be done and completed outside his immediate presence. The centurion showed great faith in Messiah's word. He understood that Messiah could heal with his word just as easily as with a touch. We see another wonderful example. The woman with the issue of the blood knew that if only she could touch the hem, the tzitzit of the garment, that Messiah wore, she could be cleansed and healed of her issue that she had had for years. She was also seen unclean, really no different than if she had had leprosy. But she didn't even speak to Messiah. She didn't even have him touch her. She touched his garment and was healed. And from that very moment, he was aware. He had that power come out of him into her healing her. Such a wonderful, another example, one of our favorite other healings that we see through this gospel. 
For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, says the centurion. And I say to this man, go, and he does. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does. And when Yahusha heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Amen, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in all of Yasharel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Avraham and Yitzhak and Yaakov in the kingdom of heaven. That's a wonderful verse. That's a wonderful thing to hold on to, to look forward to, that if we can be granted into the gates of heaven, into the kingdom of heaven, we will sit down with our forefathers, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. That's amazing. The fact that such faith was present in a Gentile caused Messiah to announce that there would be Gentiles in the kingdom of heaven. There were these few words of Messiah tell us a little something of what heaven is like. One, it is a place of rest. We will sit down in heaven. We will have that rest. It is also a place of good company where it says we will sit and enjoy the friendship of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. It makes me start to think, who is your one that you would long and love to sit with in friendship and dine with? Picking their brain, learning from them, hearing their stories. Eternity is a long time, and I pray that we will have a chance to sit down with each and every one of our forefathers to learn from them. But this is a promise right here that we will fellowship with them again. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Messiah reminded his Jewish listeners that just as the Gentiles' racial identity was no automatic barrier to the kingdom, their racial identity was no guarantee to the kingdom. It doesn't matter the bloodline. It matters that you have the blood of Messiah, that you were grafted in to the kingdom. You can be grafted out just like you can be grafted in. And no bloodline is going to give you automatic entrance into the kingdom. It's going to be from the fruits that we bear, the actions that we partake in, that we produce and live out in our walk. But most importantly, we must be cleansed by the blood of the Messiah, by the blood of the Lamb. We see that Messiah was unafraid to speak of hell, and in fact did so more than any other in the Bible, giving us many warnings. We see even nowadays there are many ministers who sometimes never even mention it. That's a taboo subject. They don't want to go down that road. We need to fear that. We need to have the fear of Yahuwah within us to know that if we are not pleasing Him, living righteously, 
that our eternity may indeed be in hell, in the burning lakes of fire, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is it that the lost are doing here? They are weeping and gnashing their teeth. Do you gnash your teeth now? Would you would not do it except you were in pain and agony? Well, in hell, there is always gnashing of teeth. That's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Such a horrific thought even. We have got to make sure that we make it to the gates, to his kingdom, that we are welcomed in. Verse 13, And Yahushua said unto the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so be it done unto you. And his servant was healed in that selfsame hour. Right then and there, by his belief, his servant was healed. Another wonderful example of the healing that Messiah gave. Verse 14, we have another example. And when Yahushua was come into Kepha's house, into Peter's home, he saw his woman's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. Messiah healed this woman with a gentle touch of her hand. Her sickness was much less severe than the leper, yet Messiah still cared for her. Messiah cares for smaller problems also, big and small. He has compassion for all. Peter's mother-in-law showed a fitting response for those who have been touched by Messiah's power. She immediately began to serve. Serving Messiah is a wonderful evidence of being restored to spiritual health. We need to be serving him, a humble servant. Another quote from Spurgeon. The moment Yahushua HaMashiach saves a soul, he gives that soul strength for its appointed service. We all have a service. We are all appointed. One way or another, we all have a gift given to us. And if we have accepted Him, that Ruach HaKodesh has filled our soul, filled our body, our living tabernacle. Use that to its potential. Don't let it go to waste. Great things can be done with the power of the Ruach. Good morning, Judy. Thank you for joining us. Blessings for your week ahead. And as we finish with these last few verses, 16. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the Rukoth with his word and healed all that were sick. Messiah's care for the individual is shown by the implication that Messiah dealt with each person individually, not in some cold assembly line type procedure. I'm sorry. No, individually, he cared for each one, still does care for each one of his children, each one of his sheep. That's the compassion that he shows. Verse 17, that it might 
be fulfilled, which was spoken by Yeshiyahu, Isaiah, the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Matthew rightly understood this as a partial fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 53, which refers to spiritual healing, but also definitely includes physical healing. In this, Matthew showed Yahusha as the true Messiah in delivering people from the bondage of sin and the effects of a fallen world. This healing work of our Savior cost Messiah something. It came at the cost of his own agony. If his word and touch brought instant deliverance to man, it was because in a great mystery of grace, he suffered in order to save. And that's what I was saying earlier. I do believe it took a toll. It took something out of him to heal each and every person. He suffered through that, just like he suffered on the cross. But he was willing and would be willing again to do it all again for us, for you and me. This section of Matthew's gospel shows four different people being healed, each one of them different from the other. First, we had a Jew with no social or religious privileges, a Gentile officer of an army occupying and oppressing Israel, a woman related to one of Messiah's devoted followers, and then the unnamed multitude, the hundreds of thousands possessed by evil spirits. Their requests were made in different ways, and Messiah used different methods to heal them. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, where you've come from. Messiah is willing to heal you. He has a way, and he wants to offer that gift to you. Messiah self-consciously healed people by the power of the Holy Spirit, that Ruach HaKodesh. His dependence on the Holy Spirit for all that he did and taught is confirmed repeatedly in Scripture. We spoke on that last week as John the Baptist washed him in the waters baptized him, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, came down from heaven and dwelt within him, pleasing to the Father. The reason this is so important for us to remember is that that Holy Spirit, that Ruach HaKodesh, that was within our Messiah, is the same Ruach HaKodesh within us. So use it. Let the Father use it within you. Seek Him. Pray to Him. Ask Him how it can be used. He can perform miracles in your life. Miracles for others. Doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be healing those of the sickness. But one way we can is to heal their spiritual sickness by giving them the Word. The Ruach can perform wonders. So let that work within you. Thank you everyone this morning.
blessings to all that tuned in or watch this later on. I do pray you have a blessed week. Let that Ruach work within you. Bless others this week as you come in contact with friends, families, or strangers. Let the Ruach speak within you. Provide that healing that they need, that word of encouragement, that joy that they may be lacking, missing, longing for. The Messiah has healed all of us and has given us that commission to carry on. So let's not lose sight of that. Let's continue to heal through his word, through his scripture, letting the, the Ruach HaKodesh bring that joy and healing upon us and upon others that come into contact with us, shining that light to all nations for healing. Shalom and blessings. Thank mm -hmm. you.